when I found out about the death of George Floyd, my mind immediately went to facts. I wanted to know the facts. Was this racially motivated? Was this officer known uh, for racial injustice in the past? Uh, Did George Floyd resist arrest? What were the details and what were the facts and everything that happened around that situation? You notice how sometimes you're reading a book or uh, just scrolling through on social media or whatever, and you come across a quote, and it just hits you in the gut. I had my mind swirling around those things regarding George Floyd, and then I came across this quote. We will never experience true Christian unity When one ethnicity demands of another that we keep silent about our pain and travails. The way forward is not an appeal to the facts as a first resort, but an attempt to get inside each other's skin as best we can to feel what they feel and to seek to understand it. These two things, getting inside each other's skin, seeking to understand, are important. I hadn't gotten inside the skin of someone that looked differently than me. I hadn't gotten inside the skin of black people in America. I was trying to sympathize, but at a distance. I was trying to understand the facts but I wasn't trying to understand the emotions, the pain. And so I started shifting my thinking and tried to understand the emotion. I climbed into their skin, and I started to understand in a new way. I don't know why it took me so long to realize that this was what I needed to do, because that's exactly What God did. Philippians 2 7 says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus got inside our skin to understand us. It says in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And look at what that gives us. Let us then with confidence, why with confidence? Because he understands our weaknesses. He understands our hurts. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy We're going to come back to that a lot today. Receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I need to follow in the footsteps of my Savior. I need to sympathize, not at a distance, but I need to get close. I need to get inside someone else's skin and seek to understand 
And so do you. You need to follow in the footsteps of your Savior. You need to get inside someone else's skin. You need to seek to understand. Now, maybe this is something you're already doing. Or maybe this is a new concept for you. Or maybe you're like me and you didn't realize the distance that you had inadvertently put between yourself and others. Get inside someone else's skin. Seek to understand. There's a great opportunity for that to happen right here at NBC. We have people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races. Be intentional to understand them, to get inside their skin. We have a lot to learn from each other. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It is so important that in the pursuit of understanding each other, that we not lose sight of the gospel. For the gospel is our aim. The gospel is our mission. Remember what Jesus said? Go and make disciples. This is what I'm leaving you with. But we become more effective in sharing the gospel when we understand the people whom we are tr- with whom we are trying to share the good news. The Apostle Paul did this really well. He came into a city, saw a statue that they had set up to an unknown God, and engaged with them around that statue. His aim was always the gospel, and he used his understanding of the people that he was talking with to connect with them. Look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And look at him crawling in to people's skin, getting in and trying to understand. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And look at his focus and his aim in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Friends, his heart is the gospel. That's what he's running after. The goal is always the gospel. The method of sharing is understanding, is getting inside someone else's skin. Yes, share the gospel, but do it in a way that they can connect with. We're going to spend some time this morning getting inside the skin of a blind beggar. And as we endeavor to empathize and not just sympathize at a distance, we will understand his desperate need for a savior in a new way. 
And maybe we will see our need for a Savior in a new way. We'll also understand faith in a new way. And hopefully it will change how we pray and how we glorify God. Let's begin by reading our passage together in Luke 18. We're finishing up the the chapter of Luke 18 today in our series on the book of Luke. Uh, If you'd like to stand as we read uh, in your home uh, in honor of God's word, you are more than welcome to. Luke 18, starting in verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let me pray again. God, thank you for crawling inside our skin for desiring to understand us. God, yes, you created us, but, but you also took the, the pain, <laughs> the humiliation, um, and everything to, to crawl inside our skin and to understand us. God, thank you for setting that example that we need to turn and do the same for others, to get inside their skin and to seek to understand And God, as we seek to understand this morning, God, help us to connect with this blind beggar. To see what he saw. To understand what he understood. And thus for us to connect with you in the way that he did and to know you deeper. God, use these words, these words that you have written and given to us to help us understand you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to do things a little differently. I'm analytical and logical. I'm sure some of you are shocked by that. Some of you know that very well about me. I'm analytical and logical, so I could tell you details about blind beggars during that time. I could give you facts, and it could help you, uh, it could help us all understand his plight on a more intellectual level. I even have had a map that I was ready to show you. I know some of you like those maps. Now, this is all good stuff, and there's a right time for all of it. But this morning, I want to welcome you in to an emotional connection with this man. I want you to get inside his skin. As I was studying, I did this, and I understood at a deeper level. And I want you to understand at a deeper level, too. So set your analysis and your logic off to the side, just for a moment, and enter in. I'd encourage you to close your eyes 
Get inside his skin. Picture yourself sitting on the side of the road where he is. You're sitting on the side of the road and you're begging. It's hot. It's dusty. You hear footsteps and you ask for money. Alms! Alms, please! Some people, as they're walking by, they laugh at you. <laughs> Look at that guy. It still hurts, even though you've heard it a thousand times before. You've been told your whole life that you are not important, that you don't matter. You haven't been welcome in the synagogue because either you sinned or your parents sinned, and that's why you're blind. So you haven't been welcome in the synagogue. You aren't able to fellowship with others because you're blind. You aren't welcome at church because you're blind. You haven't been able to find work because you're blind. And you've been driven to poverty, to begging. Which reminds you all the more that you're not valuable. That you don't matter. And so the laughter, though typical, reinforces what you've been told your whole life. You don't matter. So some walk by and laugh. Some others walk by and completely ignore you. Alms, alms. And you don't hear a word. Which reinforces what you've been told again. Again, reminding you that you don't matter. Some walk by and put in a little, not because they care, but rather because they're commanded to. And it makes them look good. Ha <laughs> ha, look at what I did. I gave some alms to a beggar today. Some even put in a little, but then take money out of your basket, thinking that you don't notice. But you do. You can hear the sounds. You can tell. So you sit alone, understanding and knowing that you don't matter. And that's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do. But today, something's a little bit different. There's a large crowd all going into the city together. And you ask, hey, what's going on? And you might have to ask a few times because the first time people ignore you again and you shout louder, hey, someone, someone tell me what's going on. And so finally someone tells you, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now the past few months or maybe even a couple of years as you've been sitting outside the city of Jericho, you've heard people as they're walking by talking about this Jesus. You've, you've heard how he, how he healed the sick, how he made a, a person that couldn't walk be able to walk, how he cast out demons from people, how he even raised someone from the dead. You've been hearing how he's been engaging with tax collectors, with sinners, with prostitutes, with lepers, even with children. He's been engaging with children? Who does that? But as he engages with them, you've been hearing how people have been saying, it looks like that those people matter to Jesus. And so you've been wondering, 
if Jesus thinks that you matter, that you are valuable. You've been told your whole life you're not valuable and you don't matter, but you're wondering if this Jesus thinks that you matter. And so in an act of desperation, you yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You beg not for money, but for mercy. Because you haven't received mercy from anybody else. And you think that this guy might actually have mercy on you. He might tell you that you matter. He might ascribe value to you in the way that he did for all those other people that society had deemed worthless. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd tells you to shut up. You don't matter, remember? Jesus doesn't have time for you. Be quiet. But there's nowhere else for you to go. Nothing else you can do. You have nothing to lose, so you don't shut up. In fact, you do quite the opposite. You shout even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you've had your eyes closed, you can go ahead and open your eyes. We're going to pause here for just a minute. But don't lose your place. Hang on to the emotion that you're feeling right now. We're going to come back to that later. Now, yes, this is a different way of approaching this. One commentary, as I was studying, said of the beggars crying out, it is behavior befitting those who desire the benefits of the good news of the kingdom. Yeah, that's true. But it misses his emotion. It misses his pain. It misses his urgency. Getting inside his skin allows us to understand better where he's coming from. And that's something I'm sure we all need to grow in. How well do we stop and listen to those in front of us so that we can understand them? So often I'm wrapped up in uh, getting ready to say the next thing that I've stopped listening to the other person. I'm ready with my point. I'm thinking about my point. I'm looking for a good opportunity to say my point. I'm ready for him or her to hear what I have to say. So I've stopped listening to what he or she is saying. This is one of the first things that we can learn from this blind beggar. He was an excellent listener. Now, granted, he didn't have as much of a choice as we do. He relied on his hearing in a bigger way because he couldn't see. But with a big distraction removed, his sight, he was able to hear something important. And that's how he heard the crowd passing by. That's how he knew that something was going on because he'd paid attention and this was a different activity than what he'd seen before or heard before. So let me ask you, what's the distraction that you need to remove so that you can be listening to understand better? Is it sight? Maybe you're looking around and you're not focused on the person that you're talking to, or you're focused on the person's appearance instead of your word instead of their words. Maybe the distraction you need to remove is your prejudice. 
What have you decided about that person before they even said anything? Maybe it's your agenda. So you need to set aside your goal in the conversation and pay attention to what the other person is saying. Maybe it's something as simple as your phone or your smartwatch. And you need to just put it away or take it off so that you can be fully engaged with the person that you're talking to. Maybe it's your own impatience. Oh, come on, like, just say what you got to say and let's be done. I've got things to do. I'm inviting you to listen well to this man so that you can understand him. But I'm inviting you to do the same with people in your life, your friends, your neighbors, people that you don't normally gravitate towards. But to do that, you need to rid yourself of those distractions. So set aside your prejudice, your agenda, your impatience, your phone, and even your sight if you need. Whatever else may be distracting you so that you can engage, so that you can listen, so that you can understand. So let's seek to understand this blind beggar. We need to be careful to listen We're going to look at five things he says in this passage, and we're going to seek to understand what he's saying. The first one we already talked a little bit about, but he says, have mercy on me. In verse 38 and in verse 39, he says, have mercy on me. He had not received mercy from anyone else. And mercy is what he recognizes he needs. Mercy meaning pity or compassion. The Greek word for alms or charitable giving comes from the same root as this word. He's received the alms here and there, but he hasn't received the compassion. Go back to the emotions you were feeling as you were sitting there, ridiculed, mocked, even worse, ignored. You're aching for one person to give you a kind word. For someone to engage with you. For someone to have compassion on you. To have mercy on you. So when this guy walks by who's been merciful to others that were outcast by society, you think that maybe he will have compassion on you. That he will be merciful to you. And so you yell out, have mercy on me. He's expressing his deeper hurt, which is why he's so persistent. Nobody's going to keep him from trying to fill this deeper hurt. The parable of the persistent widow was intentionally put in Luke right before of this to connect this idea of persistence. The persistent widow just keeps coming and saying, give me justice. She doesn't give up because she's got this deep hurt and ache. When there's deep hurt and ache, you will do what it takes to heal that. So as you seek to understand someone, look for their deeper hurt. The next thing he says, which he actually says right before have mercy on me, is he says, son of David. And this is a unique title where no one else Uh, says this to Jesus in the book of Luke. And it's a messianic title. The Jews knew that the Messiah was coming from the line of David. 
In Luke 1.32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is Gabriel talking to Mary. It's, uh, he says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And in Luke 1.69, Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah says that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And so when the blind beggar calls Jesus the son of David, he's calling Jesus the Messiah. Now, we don't know how this blind beggar knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but he knew. Maybe he heard what Jesus read in the temple when uh, in Luke 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And maybe he believed that Jesus was here to fulfill this, uh, this statement uh, when many others didn't believe that. Or maybe God just gave him the words to say. And he just, out of the depths of his heart, said, Son of David. But regardless, he had a deep faith that most likely nobody else knew about. Nobody knew that he believed that this Jesus was the Messiah. So as you seek to understand someone, seek to understand the faith that they have. Don't make assumptions. Now, before we get to the third thing that this blind beggar says, we need to understand that something significant takes place in verse 40. So look at verse 40. It says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Put yourself again in this man's skin. Remember where you were emotionally. You felt valueless. Like you didn't matter. But here comes this man that values the valueless. That heals people. That tells them they matter. And you're wondering, do I matter to Jesus? And so you cry out and don't give up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a pause. A hush in the crowd. Their feet stop moving. And you hear a voice, a strong and powerful voice that is somehow also gentle. And that voice tells someone in the crowd to bring you over. A hand grabs you. You stand up and are led to Jesus. You come near to Jesus. You know it's Jesus because nobody else would have stopped like that. Nobody else would have taken the time to engage with you. And in that moment, you are given what you asked for. Before another word is spoken, you already have the answer to your question. You matter to Jesus. You have value. You were invited to come to Jesus. The Messiah had you brought near to him. The rest of the world had told you that you don't matter, but Jesus told you something different. And in that moment, the healing begins. 
Remember what we started with, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In this moment, he receives the mercy that he asked for. Now the third thing that this blind beggar says in verse 41, he says, Lord. He calls Jesus something different. Remember, he called Jesus the son of David. But now he calls him Lord. So we know that he understands that Jesus is the Messiah, but he also wants to put Jesus in charge. His life on his own terms with him in charge was miserable. So he's ready to hand the reins of his life over to another. And maybe in that word, oh, there's a sigh of relief. I don't have to be in charge anymore. Jesus, you're in charge. You are Lord. The fourth thing that this beggar says is he says, (laughs) let me recover my sight. What a question Jesus asked him right before that. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He has been begging for people to do things for him. But nobody has helped. Nobody has given him mercy. And here, instead of pleading for someone to do something for him, someone, Jesus, is asking. Is giving him the opportunity to make a request. Even in Jesus asking the question, the blind beggar is receiving what he initially asked for. Mercy, compassion. So when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't ask for mercy. Why? Because he's already received it. So just by Jesus stopping and engaging, by Jesus asking this question, Jesus gives him mercy and compassion. Jesus cares. So he goes, great, I've got mercy and compassion. I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to ask for something big. I'm going to ask to see. And he asked this because he believed that Jesus was able. He wouldn't have asked otherwise. When Laura at home can't open a jar, she doesn't go and ask Ava to open the jar. She asks me. Why? Because I've been able in the past to open jars, and and Ava hasn't. She asks the one that she knows is able. The blind beggar believes Jesus is able to let him see. And so he asks. Are there things that you've kept from asking God Because you thought he wasn't able? Or that he wouldn't do that for you? This man had nothing to lose. He had nowhere else to turn. So he was bold in his request. His request was full of faith too. Faith in Jesus' ability to heal. But faith also in Jesus' opinion of him. That he matters. That he has value. And then Jesus says, recover your sight. Which in one, uh, which in Greek is one word, anablepa, which means see. One word. 
And, and him asking, Lord, let me see. And Jesus says, see. And immediately he does. In, when God's creating the world, he says, let there be light. Two words in Hebrew. His power is beyond compare. He uses just a word, just a couple of words. We sing this song that says, In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. I love that here he uses one word. That's all he needs. See, he's able. The fifth thing that the man says, and we don't know the exact words, but he glorifies God. In verse 43, glorifying God. Now, why did he glorify God? First of all, he glorified God because he could see immediately. And the first thing he gets to see is his Savior, Jesus. When you ask God for something big and it happens, you would glorify God too. And we also see that the crowds around praised God because this guy could see. But the crowd truly didn't understand And we know this because of the praise that this same crowd gives to Jesus as he enters Jerusalem, which is happening in in just a little bit, and the way that Jesus reacts. He weeps because they don't understand. They didn't take the time to understand the deeper healing that took place. Now, what was that deeper healing? He had value. He mattered to Jesus. He was made well which is the same word that's used in Luke 17 when Jesus says to the leper, your faith has made you well. And this was after the leper had been cleansed of his leprosy. So we know that Jesus is talking not about the physical, but about the spiritual. It's the same word in Luke 7.50 when the woman that anointed Jesus, Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. His healing went beyond the physical. And so he glorified God. And then he followed. He followed Jesus immediately. Now, Jesus said earlier to people listening, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, we may look at this verse as a downer. Oh, deny myself, take up my cross daily. Okay, I guess so. But when you understand the blind beggar, You see that this is not a burden, but a joy. Wow, I get to deny myself. I get to be done with this valueless guy that's been sitting by the side of the road begging, and I get to follow Jesus, and I get to take up his cross and follow him. Fantastic. Yes, of course, that's exactly what I want to do. Get rid of myself. He was thrilled and did whatever it took to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus also says something here. Jesus says that your faith has made you well. And this is a favorite saying of Jesus. In Luke 7, he says it to the woman that anoints Jesus. He says, your faith has saved you. In chapter 8, to the woman that reached and touched Jesus' cloak to get healed, he says, your faith has made you well. Again, I mentioned it. To the leper, he says, your faith has made you well. The four men carrying their paralyzed friend, Jesus, uh, it says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So what exactly is Jesus getting at? 
The man's faith did not create the cure. But it was the means by which he received it. His faith believed that Jesus would have had mercy on him when no one else would. His faith kept him yelling when everyone else told him to be silent. His faith made him not stop asking. It made him not give up. His faith led him to Jesus. His faith gave him the courage to ask for something big, to ask to see. That is how his faith made him well. So let me ask you, does your faith push you towards Jesus? Or does your lack of faith cripple you? Does your lack of faith keep you from asking the harder questions? Does your lack of faith keep you from believing that God is able? We took some time this morning to get inside this man's skin. We sought to understand. And in doing so, we got a deeper understanding of his persistence. We understand, we understand his request. We understand his joy. We understand his faith. We began this morning in 1 Corinthians 9, seeing how Paul seeks to understand others. But how verse 23 was key. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. His focus was always the gospel, and as ours should be. So where's the gospel here? Well, we've already seen it, but I'll make it nice and clear. This man understood and knew his own depravity. He came to Jesus for mercy. He put all his faith in Jesus, and he followed Jesus. This morning, if you haven't done this, I invite you to do the same. Recognize your own depravity. Come to Jesus for mercy and follow him. Now, to all of you, regardless of where you're at, in your relationship with Jesus. I want to end with one question. Do you believe Jesus is able? Do you believe Jesus is able? This blind beggar sure did. He believed that Jesus was able because he was out of other options. He believed that Jesus was able to not just heal his eyes, but to heal his soul. Friend, Jesus is able. He is able to heal you of whatever physical ailment is weighing you down. He's able to heal your friend, to heal your family member from whatever sickness that they have. Jesus is able to mend your broken relationships. Jesus is able to heal your marriage. Jesus is able to overcome racism and injustice. Jesus is able to stop this virus. Jesus is able to help you forgive. Jesus is able to provide the child you've been waiting for. Jesus is able to bring you peace as you mourn over the friend you've lost, the family member you've lost, the child you've lost or never even had. 
Jesus is able to save the person that you think is unsavable. Maybe that's you. Jesus is able to save you. He's able. And he wants you to bring your deep hurt to him, to cry out to him, to come to Jesus. But sometimes it takes us getting to a point of desperation to cry out, to see that we're not able and we need him to step in. Well, does a global pandemic help? How about being separated from friends and family for three months? How about civil unrest across the country resulting in protests and riots? Is that enough of a point of desperation to to push you towards Jesus? Here's the lyrics we are about to sing. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head for love, capital L. Love is passing by. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Live. Jesus is able. Jesus, you're able. You are able. Would you forgive me for the times that I've doubted that? For the times that I've refused to ask or just didn't think to ask because I, I just doubted that you were able? God, forgive me for those times. I need reminders like this to be brought back to the fact that you are able. You're able. Jesus, we need to come to you. We need to be at your feet. We need to be with you. We need to recognize that when we feel like the rest of the world has given up on us, you never have and you never will. You are able. And so this morning, we come to you, Jesus.